This is Think Health. My name is Shane Anderson, and this episode is about the biggest genetic killer of babies under two, why you've never heard of it, and how that's getting in the way of advances in gene technologies that can prevent it. It starts with the story of Rachel Casella. I think it's actually really important to start our story before we got pregnant. I'm very type A OCD personality. Um, I like to really control whatever I can control and I'm really fond of research. So in preparation for getting pregnant, we did everything that we possibly knew of and that we researched to have a healthy baby. Like most hopeful parents, Rachel and her husband Johnny were preparing or maybe even over-preparing, to make sure they were healthy and ready to be parents. And after three months of trying, it worked. Rachel fell pregnant. It felt, you know, so uncomplicated. I remember a doctor saying that it was the most boring pregnancy they had ever seen. Mackenzie was born on the 11th of March 2017. We had an emergency C-section in the end, but honestly I didn't care. Like, she was here and she was perfect. I felt everything kind of fall into place. I was a mum, I was happy. We, we look back on it now that we know that something was wrong, it seems obvious. But at the time, we actually thought she was really chilled. At 10 weeks, Rachel took Mackenzie to a lactation consultant. The consultant told her Mackenzie was feeding great, but she had noticed something else that was off. Mackenzie was floppy. She pointed to a 10-week-old, which was the same age as Kenzie, and the 10-week-old was, like, on his tummy and he had his sort of shoulders and head lifted off the ground. And Mackenzie didn't do that. Rachel and Johnny rushed Mackenzie to a paediatrician. And it didn't take long for the doctor to give a diagnosis. Look, I think she's got spinal muscular atrophy, type 1. And the first thing we said was, what's the cure? What's the treatment? And he said, it's terminal. Spinal muscular atrophy, or SMA, is a muscle-wasting disease. There's four types. Type 1, which Mackenzie was diagnosed with, presents shortly after birth. Babies slowly lose the ability to move, and then to swallow, and finally, they lose the ability to breathe. Mackenzie's life expectancy was nine months. You just can't describe the nightmare that started that day. You start bargaining and you think, we're just normal people, we're good people, how's this happened? I tried to pick her up and just hold her because she was just looking at me and giggling and cooing. And then we started to get information and we started to get angry. And that's not to say that we don't love our daughter more than anything in this world. But if anyone was to watch a video of what happens to an SMA baby, I don't think there are many parents that would turn around and actively say yes to that. How were those couple of months after the diagnosis? They were like we were living a dream. It 
was the three of us and we would celebrate every month day her birthday because we we knew she probably wouldn't get to one happy month day to you happy month day to you happy month day dear Mackenzie. happy month day to you hip hip hooray hip hip we would do a memory every single day. We flew her in you know, Perth, Broome, Cairns, Tasmania. She went into snow, sand. She went in a helicopter, a hovercraft. We, we wanted her to live. And so it was the best time. But then you're completely covered by this cloud that just follows you, knowing that, is this going to be the last day? Despite all her research... Rachel had never come across SMA, but once Mackenzie was diagnosed, she was told this condition wasn't rare. SMA is the leading genetic cause of infant death. This is Dr Michelle Farrer. I'm a child neurologist and I work at Sydney Children's Hospital in the Nerve and Muscle Clinic. How common is it? The incidence is 1 in 11,000 births. However, in a state like New South Wales, where there's 104,000 births every year, you would expect that 10 to 11 babies would be born with SMA, but no one would have seen it or heard of it. Why is that if it's so common? Because the survival is so short. Understanding why SMA is so threatening lies within our genes, specifically a gene called survival motor neuron 1, or SMN1. And what that gene does is it encodes the survival motor neuron protein, and it's that deficiency that causes SMA. These motor neurons tend to sit in the spinal cord and control our muscle movement, hence the spinal in spinal muscular atrophy. The SMN1 gene is important because it contains the blueprint for how these motor neurons work. When the gene is disrupted, it sends the wrong instructions to our motor neurons. Our muscles aren't being used, so they begin to waste away, or atrophy. So when Rachel thought Mackenzie was chilled out, she was actually paralysed. They can't move, and that's why they're so easy, and they don't kick their legs. The SMN1 gene at the root of spinal muscular atrophy is inherited from our parents. Dr. Farrar says we each have inside us a few copies of this gene. And you get one copy from mum and one copy from dad. SMA occurs when you inherit a defect in all the copies. This means if just one parent is a carrier of a defective SMN1 gene, chances are you will have inherited copies from your other parent that won't carry the defect. When both parents are carriers, SMA has a 1 in 4 chance of being passed down. And that's what we see in a lot of other genetic conditions like cystic fibrosis as well. This is how genetic conditions are inherited. Yet, because SMA is carried in our genes, this also means that you can test for it. Genetic technology has changed very quickly in recent years. There are now technologies that can test for an array of severe inherited disorders. The most important one is a carrier test, or preconception carrier screening. 
For example, in Australia, the most well-known of these tests is called PREPARE. And that's offered in Victoria. Individuals or couples can elect to have that test and it would test to see if you're a carrier for three conditions, cystic fibrosis, SMA and fragile X. You don't have to be pregnant to do a carrier test. So for Rachel and Johnny, finding out about this test after Mackenzie's diagnosis was another blow. That just smacked me in the face. I felt like I'd been punched because I went, well, why is it not tested for? Why, why have actually we never even heard of it? Rachel and Johnny didn't have a family history of SMA. They were carriers without even knowing it. This is called autosomal recessive inheritance. Dr. Farrar says that when it comes to SMA, around 1 in 50 people are carriers. So what that means is that you would know many people that would be carriers for SMA, but they would never know about it. That is a really common thing that we would see in genetic counselling. This is Alison McEwen, genetic counsellor and associate professor at the University of Technology, Sydney. Two people have not known that they were carriers for a recessive condition and the first that anybody in the extended family knows about it is when a child is born with that condition. Yeah, how difficult is it for those parents? People, I think, do feel responsible and they can feel guilty that they've been part of passing this on to to a child. It's something that could happen to any of us, but I don't think that necessarily lessens how people feel about it if it happens to them. Every one of us is a carrier of 8 to 10 genetic conditions. That's something we can't help. But genetic testing gives you options. Options Rachel feels like she was never given. Most SMA babies don't die from the condition alone. Because of Mackenzie's weak respiratory muscles, the biggest threat to her health was catching a virus. The doctors told Rachel and Johnny if she got mucus in her airways, she would struggle to breathe and her body would be too weak to fight the infection off. As a result, Rachel and Johnny had no idea how much time they would have with their daughter. You start to have these conversations, which you shouldn't have to have. You have to do resuscitation plans and talk to palliative care. You know, that's, that's not something a parent should do. So we went down to Tasmania and took her yachting, as you do. She was beautiful and gorgeous as always. And then we flew back to Sydney One night she was sort of just a bit unsettled and we thought that she was teething. And then in the morning, her breathing got faster. I picked her up and she sort of turned blue and white and struggled to breathe. Rachel and Johnny called the ambulance and Mackenzie was soon in intensive care. She had developed the common cold. Which, for an SMA baby, you know, it, it affects them and she fought and she tried but she couldn't shake it and on the 22nd of October, um, 7 months and 11 days old, she, she passed away.
listening to Think Health. After the break, we're going to take a look at how gene technology is fighting back against genetic diseases. Mackenzie's story isn't over. This is Think Health. I'm Shane Anderson, and we've been talking about how even though genetic tests are available, still nobody knows about genetic killers like spinal muscular atrophy type 1. This is like a heart sink moment for me in neurology. Dr. Michelle Farrow. I physically feel something in the pit of my stomach when I know that that's the diagnosis. Most people find out they're a carrier of SMA after their child is diagnosed. Dr. Farah wants to change that. There was a recent study undertaken by a very experienced group in Victoria where they tested 12,000 individuals for those three conditions, cystic fibrosis, SMA and fragile X. The study found that those three conditions combined are just as common as Down syndrome. But while it's normal for parents to screen for Down syndrome, a condition where many people still live full and independent lives, Hardly anyone screens for the potentially lethal SMA. I see the opportunity for change, and that is why I choose to do all my research in this field. One of the problems is that many people simply don't know their carriers, and it's hard to test for something that you don't know you have. Another problem is that doctors aren't aware that SMA, and subsequently the carrier screening tests, exist. As a result, Dr. Farris says that many parents of SMA babies end up having to do the research on their own. I think it's hard to have such a cruel and devastating diagnosis and then you have to educate all the health professionals in the community looking after your child and you become the expert when you're reliant on healthcare. But there have been some changes, like a recent increase in demand for genetic counsellors as people become more aware of the conditions they carry. Just because both partners are carriers of a genetic condition doesn't mean they can't have children. Improvements in gene technologies mean parents have more of a say over how to proceed. Rachel and Johnny knew they wanted to try for a second child. When they were ready, Rachel suddenly found herself faced with choices she didn't have when pregnant with Mackenzie. We were told you can either get pregnant and roll the dice. You can also do prenatal testing where they you can get pregnant and I think it's in between week 10 and 12, you can have the baby tested. The last option is IVF. Rachel and Johnny chose to undergo IVF. And they're not the only parents who are using IVF not for infertility, but for a specific genetic test you can take alongside it. It's a test that ensures any embryo implanted is free of inherited genetic conditions. It's called PGD, or pre-implantation genetic diagnosis. Genetic counsellor Alison McEwen explains. We probably are gradually seeing an increase in numbers of people who are seeking pre-implantation genetic diagnosis. What is PGD? 
So PGD is a process where a person would have an IVF pregnancy, so using assisted reproductive technology, and what happens with that is that a woman goes through a cycle to have her ovaries stimulated so that she produces more eggs than usual, and then those are harvested and then an embryo is created. So far, this is your standard IVF procedure. PGD comes into the picture once the embryo is harvested. After about three to five days, the scientists will look at the embryos and select the ones that are growing well. From those embryos, scientists take a single cell and test it for the genetic condition. In this case, for the SMN1 mutation that causes SMA. Only the embryos that do not have that, that genetic mutation or that change that's present in the family would be available for implantation. Parents who use PGD are assured that the specific genetic condition won't be inherited. Alison says that PGD offers a lot of hope to parents, but the reality of PGD is less than ideal. It's not a straightforward process. The test has to be developed for that particular couple, for the condition that they're going to be testing for and for the genetic makeup of that couple. The benefit of this is that you can test for pretty much any genetic condition so long as you know in advance which one you're looking for. The downside is that it takes time and money. This is a huge issue for equity of access. Even though IVF gets partial subsidies from Medicare, the government is yet to offer rebates for PGD. Parents can end up thousands of dollars out of pocket for just one round of IVF with PGD, and there's no guarantee that round will be successful. It puts PGD out of reach for many parents, meaning some just have to roll the dice. But that carries an emotional toll, which for Rachel and Johnny was too much to bear. We kind of umdenard over whether to get pregnant and just test it. 10 weeks, that's the cheaper option. We thought that we'd give IVF a try because we thought emotionally we don't know whether we would we personally knew that we would terminate if we found out another baby had SMA. Why? Because we saw the immense pain and suffering that a baby with SMA has. We would never, ever wish that on a child. It's sincerely cruel to watch a baby struggle for breath. No, that not for us. We felt so confused when it got to New Year's because it's just Johnny and I desperately missing our little girl. But Mackenzie still had a role to play. Shortly after her diagnosis, Rachel started to document Mackenzie's life in a blog. It began as a way to process her grief, but once she started writing, she began to vent her frustrations at the lack of awareness around genetic testing and how difficult it is to access. She began posting about the information she was learning, about the tests available, how much they cost and how to ask your GP about them. And then all of a sudden I started having all these families, especially mums, reaching out to me. And it was people who were going through IVF and PGD. It was people who had lost children. It was people who 
had children who had been diagnosed with a genetic disorder and it wasn't always SMA, it was, I don't know, just disorders I'd never heard of before. But their children were really suffering. A lot of these parents, like Rachel, didn't know they were carriers until their children were diagnosed. Rachel responded to every message. I found it really hard in a lot of ways to emotionally go through the pain, especially when I would get another message saying that a child that I was following had passed away and it was their funeral and I would relive everything over again. As hard as it was, it convinced Rachel and Johnny that something needed to be done. They started to campaign. What were you calling for? We actually were asking for quite a lot. First and foremost, we just wanted to simply raise awareness about SMA. Um, We wanted people to know about it if it's the number one genetic killer in babies under two. We assume that they don't know about it because most babies don't make it past nine months, but that's not a good enough reason not to know about it. Next, they wanted subsidised genetic screening so all hopeful parents can see if they're a carrier. And we understand that not everyone's going to agree with it. Some people especially won't agree with it if they don't fully understand what it means to be tested and that we're not saying if you test positive you need to terminate your baby. It's about information. Finally, they were calling for greater access and awareness to PGD. And we believe that that should be subsidised because people can't help what they carry. Rachel and Johnny's families rallied together and they wrote 200 letters and mailed them to every MP in Australia. Replies trickled through offering condolences. But in early 2018, one of those letters landed on Federal Health Minister Greg Hunt's desk. The minister invited Rachel and Johnny to Canberra to meet with him, where he announced the largest ever investment into the Medical Research Futures Fund. He called it Mackenzie's Mission. Tell me about Mackenzie's Mission. Mackenzie's Mission, it still hasn't quite sunk in yet. The minister promised a four-pronged approach to address Rachel and Johnny's requests. Subsidised carrier tests, looking into training GPs in SMA awareness, looking into better support for parents going through PGD. And finally, research into the treatment of genetic disorders. With better available genetic testing, will deaths from SMA be ultimately preventable? So 50% of pregnancies in Australia are unplanned. So with the best testing, babies will still always be born with SMA. Fortunately, treatments are emerging. They're not curative yet, but for some, it can change the natural history of SMA and offer hope. And what I hope is that over my lifetime and my career and hopefully that the outcomes and what we see today in SMA will not be what the next generation of paediatricians will never see. As of airing, the minister is yet to finalise the details of the mission, but it's a start. You know, this is potentially going to save families and babies, you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands into the future. Um, So that's Mackenzie's mission and we are overwhelmed. Just to know that she's going to save babies, it doesn't make her not being here any easier or any better. And I couldn't be prouder of her. 
every baby, every family deserves to have their story listened to. And that's why I feel like Mackenzie's mission is for every baby that should be here. That's not. That's it for Think Health today. If you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information, you can also head to our website. It's 2ser.com slash thinkhealth. Over the course of this series, you'll be hearing episodes from both myself and producer Jake Morecambe. This show is made possible with the support of 2SER Radio, the University of Technology Sydney, and is heard around Australia via the Community Radio Network. I'm Shane Anderson. Thanks for listening.